0: So, you've heard me say this a million times. I mean, pro- seriously, probably a million times. But blame makes mistakes look like choices, right? I mean, I say that a bunch. And today I want to talk about that because I think it's a really important thing for us to talk about, and something happened. Hey everybody, Todd Conk on Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How are you? It is so good to hear your happy voice and to see you and to spend time with you and to hang out with you and just generally commune. That is such a good, the communalness of this is so important. You know, that's all we're doing is building community, right? I mean, you figured that out a long time ago is that, it, so people, Sidney <laughs> Decker told me recently, how much... How much content do you have out there? How many of those podcasts do you do? How do you do that? Well, see it's it's not like this is difficult. Don't get me it's not difficult. And it's really you know you never run out of stuff to talk about. That's not a problem at all. The secret is is that what it really is is kind of just building community. I mean that's all it does now. Now, we've been in this journey a while. And so that's kind of fun. I mean, we've definitely had a good time hanging out with each other. And I can't believe we're dangerously close to a thousand episodes. Which just seems crazy to me at every level, but that's what's going on. If you think about it, I mean if you've been listening a while, you know this. But we've we've covered a lot of ground and a lot of different people have been on the pod for sure. And that's kinda of cool. I mean, that's kind of fun. But it's not like this is a obligatory big heavy burden that either i carry or you carry or we carry together i mean like i don't you know it's it's not difficult to come up with information and i don't really think of it as content that seems very sterile and kind of weird it's just a chance to talk and what i like about it is it's a chance to really talk about things that uh, are kind of new and interesting that are going on. And what's funny is some of the stuff really sticks around and stays, and some of the stuff it's like a little burst, like a little firework, a cuete if you want to call it that in Spanish, that pops up and never to be heard from again. <laughs> Which, you know, could be this podcast, it could be any podcast. That is the amazing thing. I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but the podcasts I think are going to be really huge hits cuz I think man, this one's really interesting man, who, who's not going to love this one? It's, it's super, I don't know. It's, it's, this one's really, really interesting and people are going to, they're going to be excited to hear it. Those podcasts, you know, mediocre, but the ones that I think are stupid and I'm like, Ugh, I'm embarrassed to put those giant bazillion listeners of tons of downloads And I don't really understand what makes one podcast good and another one not good or why some are downloaded so many more times than other ones. I don't don't really get that. But I also, to be fair, and I should be fair with you, don't really track that. I mean, I I don't really know how many people listen to this podcast. Other people seem to care about that a lot and tell me stuff. Like people write me emails all the time and ask me if they can – you know, sell male grooming clippers and all sorts of weird junk. And I'm not really that interested, but they keep saying the numbers are high. So, you know, I guess they're high. Thanks for listening. It's uh it's always worthwhile having you here. And ultimately, back to the topic, it builds community. And building community, that's probably worthwhile. It's still autumn in New Mexico So I'm still having a great time because autumn in New Mexico is the best time to hang out here by a thousand miles. And um, gosh, it's been really uh, fun. I've gotten to do some really cool stuff. Um, And that is absolutely worthwhile. And kind of I'm going to talk about that a little bit today on the pod because I need to start with a story. And then once I tell that story, then we can sort of talk about why I think that story is interesting. But it, you know, that's coming out. So let me tease that. That'll be a right around the corner and just kind of bring you back to speed. So I'm, again, without a bicycle. I've had another bicycle stolen. This time in front of the grocery store. Uh, they got my cable and cut it and got the bicycle. But they have really good high-def video of the person stealing it. But they still can't get it back. So I'm, you know... Um, I am definitely the Johnny Appleseed of bicycles because, uh, they just keep taking them and here's what I'm doing. Just I'm replacing them, but I'm buying reconditioned used ones because, you know, I grew up in Western Kansas. That's never going to go away. And so I always try to find this really good deal and then I fix them up a little and ride them. But I'm not letting the theft stop me. That's just not what I'm going to let happen. And I do think it's kind of um, it's a data point, right? I mean, it's, it's very interesting because prevention alone clearly isn't enough. Recoverability is a part of it, which means we could talk forever about Apple AirTags. I have very mixed emotions on Apple AirTags. I don't know how you feel about them. I think they're fine in a suitcase, great in a briefcase, not very helpful with a stolen bicycle. You can tell where the bike is, but it's not finite enough to actually help you recover the bike. And then, you know, because it's theft, they would need all sorts of court orders and search warrants. And I mean, it's um, it's frustrating all the way around. And you know that. I mean, I'm, I don't even have to tell you that. But, but it does become less painful. As I told you last time, it, the more bikes that get stolen from you, the less painful it is in having a stolen bicycle. So that is my story of stolen bicycles, but gives me a chance to, you know, keep kind of changing things up, trying new things, trying new bikes, trying them out and making them happen. So details will follow. I've got one with snow tires. I'm very excited about that, although I'm not that excited for winter, but we can talk about that later. So let's get into the pod. I think it's time to uh, take you on the journey to the podcast, and it's really going to start with a very interesting little story that you probably need to hear because I think it's worth listening to. So we just finished up a conference um, that we held that uh, we put together with Bob Edwards and Andrea Baker and Jennifer Long, Mark Yeston, myself, Jay Allen was, uh, a part of it and we did this conference and it was, it was really a fun conference and we did it in Florida, in Orlando, Florida. And we did it because, um, there was some amount of interest in moving a conference to the East coast and it in fact had a lot of people and they were, every person there was amazing. It was great fun. We had a really good time and it was a good conference. We also did it so we could go to Disney because I wanted to see, after all the press I'd read, the Star Wars land in Hollywood Studios. I think it actually has a different name, but I'm old, so I don't know what it's called. So everything was great. We did this uh, We did this conference, and um, I invited my friend Andres Cruz Ojeda to come and go to the Disney part with me. Now, Andres is my friend in Santa Fe and he's a contractor and he does lots of work on, on fancy houses. And we've just been friends for years and years. It's a really long story, but I met him really early on, like 22 years ago uh, when he was just starting and he actually helped me out um, working on my house and I introduced him to lots of friends. And out of that, he's, He's rolled out quite a business. He has employees and pays taxes. I mean he's he's like a he's like a real contractor guy. And I just kind of as I do casually ask him if he wanted to go with us to Disneyland. And he said, "Sure." And I didn't think he'd say yes because he's a contractor. So he can't get away, or that's what I thought, but little did I know he can get away, and he did, in fact, go with us to Disneyland, and he had a great first time there. He had a great time. We had tons of fun. He rode all the rides. He did all that stuff. It was great fun. We really had a good time. And we were coming home, and we were on the same flight back to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, for some amazing reason— his billfold, cartera in Spanish, his billfold, which looks exactly like my billfold, got into my briefcase. I don't know how this happened. I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know how this happened, but it happened. And we get to the airport to get on the plane, and he can't find his billfold. So he has to go back to the hotel and tear the room apart. And he can't find it in the room. And I'm at the airport waiting because I needed to travel on. And um, they call me and they say, you know, we can't find this billfold. And I look and sure enough, when I go through security, I stick my wallet in my briefcase. And I pull out a wallet that looks exactly like mine. And sure enough, it's not my wallet. So I call him and I say, "Uh, for whatever reason, I have his billfold in my bag. And so they drive back to the airport as fast as possible from the hotel. It's pretty far. It's like a 20 minute drive. And I have to go back out of security and meet them at the front door and give him his billfold, his wallet, so that he can actually go through security with his ID. So that's the whole, that's kind of the, the background story. And come to find out what had happened is he had set his billfold on the table of my room, when we were getting together, actually, we were having uh some coke some diet i'm pretty actually quite certain it was coke zero and um hes he took it out of his pocket and set it on the table and what I'm pretty certain happened is that he either walked out and left it or I saw it while he was there, and I put it in my briefcase Now remember earlier, I said that. Blame, in retrospect, makes mistakes a choice. And the reason I say that is because when I found it in my briefcase, I felt stupid. I felt really bad, actually. I felt guilty. And I felt really bad for Andres because he had just had to get all the way back to this hotel, try to get a key back to his room, and tearing the couch cushions apart in his room, looking for this billfold, and he just thought he'd lost it for sure. And I found it because I had it. And I was convinced that I picked it up because it looks exactly like mine. So there were tons of conditions that created this story of how this failure happened. But long story short, what it meant is I had to go back through security which that is a fate worse than death. I don't know if you've gone through security in Orlando, but a lot of people fly out of that airport, and they all go through the same security, and there's a million kids and a million strollers, which is all fun. I mean, I'm, I'm pro all that stuff, but it takes a really long time because every family's got nine kids and two strollers and a 100 bags, and they're all laying them down there trying to get through So it was really this kind of extra big pain in the butt. But it was my fault, or it was an unusual operational upset. And so I was convinced that I picked it up. Nonetheless, however it happened, it just happened. Things that never happen happen all the time. We know that. And any system that can fail will fail. We're also experts on that. And this is just one example of, a, of an operational failure. I mean, it was just a failure. Now, it was recoverable because we both made the plane, Uh, which was unbelievable because all this was happening, you know, about an hour before takeoff because that's when we went to the airport. There's no reason to go to the airport early. You you hear me talk about this all the time on the podcast because every minute you spend in the airport is a minute of your life you're not getting back. So long, 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 long story is that everything was recoverable. Everybody got home. But then you start to play this case out and you start, trying to figure out what exactly happened who screwed up because somebody had to screw up for this to happen who screwed up because if we can find out who screwed up then we can sort of account for the fact that i had to go through security twice and it was easier to say that i screwed up because um i thought i must have picked it up because it looked just like mine and i was pretty guilty because it was in my briefcase but i don't remember picking it up i don't think i did but who knows right The bottom line is all of this comes together to talk about this discussion we have all the time, which is this idea that after a mistake takes place, and that's all this was, was just a mistake. It was a big, fat mistake. After the mistake happens, there's almost this unquenchable need to explain why something this stupid happened to people as smart as we are. And I put quotes around smart. I don't mean smart like Smell me, I'm fancy pants. I mean, you know, how could this take place? And it introduces an idea that Jennifer Long talked about in our conference. Now, Jennifer talks a lot about accountability, and she's the one who talks mostly about accountability in a way that I think is really very helpful to the work we do, in that she says accountability is a shared event So there's really no such thing as individual accountability. I mean, there is. We can talk about that later. But accountability, the way we talk about it in the safety community, is a group phenomenon. And then she goes on to say, and what accountability does is provide clarity. Because, you know, my premise is accountability is the discussion you have before something bad happens. Well, so that fits perfectly into what I think that what accountability does is provide that clarity, and you have that clarity in order to prevent bad things from happening or to create an environment that when a bad thing happens, it's quite recoverable. So this idea that somebody bad had to do something bad in order for someone else's wallet to get in your briefcase That's a pretty compelling idea. I mean, especially if you have to go back through security and then back through security, that's pretty compelling. And this story is especially amplified by the fact that both times I walked through the metal detector, I got randomly selected for additional screening. Now, I went through it twice in 25 minutes, probably maybe a half hour, not longer than a half hour. The first time I went through, I got selected for additional random screening. Half hour later, after I delivered the wallet and was hustling to try to make the plane on time, I also get picked for a random additional screening, which I would suggest if it happens to me twice, it's no longer random. I mean, at least not to me. I'm a N of one, but I got picked 100% of the times I went through security that day in Orlando. That is not random. The bottom line is that all of this discussion we're having, and it's kind of an interesting discussion, kind of can be captured by this phrase, the context of choice. Now, I I want you to think about this a while. It's a long, rambling story, but I actually think there's much it can teach us. Because no choice is ever made in a vacuum, because then it wouldn't be a choice. And one of the things we do is we look at choices that are bad, and if we assume that a person made a bad choice, I put dresses billfold in my briefcase, that's a bad choice, then what it also assumes simultaneously is that I purposely did not choose all the better choices in order to make sure I chose the worst choice. And that's not realistic or even normal. That's crazy. But that's kind of what happens when we go in and look at blame. Blame's crazy. But blame's hard to talk about because you first have to talk about mistakes. Because if you just talk about a blame-free environment, man, that's going to send your leadership team up a pole. Because they don't want to live in a world that's blame-free. They want to live in a world that's filled with accountability, clarity, and the discussion you have before an event happens. You can use any form of the definition of accountability you want. But the idea that we're selling this blame-free, that's kind of damaging because we're not. What we're really doing is talking about the context of choice. And how choice looks different in retrospect than it clearly did in actual present event that if there'd have been a choice if you'd have said to me, "If you put Andre's wallet in your briefcase, you'll have to go through security twice, I absolutely would not have put his wallet in my briefcase. But the context of that choice comes later in the game, and I challenge us, you, me anyone else who's listening, to think about this context of choice. Because almost all the stuff we talk about kind of fits into that category. The difference between making bad choices and having bad choices, that's context around choice. The belief that you have to do something because of time pressure, that's context around choice. Choosing the lesser of several evils is context context around choice figuring out because of goal conflict the fact that you can either obey the rules or do the work but you can't do both at the same time that's context of choice and i actually think there's much we can study much we can learn but most importantly much we can understand for our operations at every level when we start to extrapolate this idea that there are contextual factors, contextual conditions around the ability to make choice. This changes things. I mean, it it changes things from the traditional view of safety, which is workers should make good choices, and if they make good choices, we will have zero events to a much more interesting and probably much more realistic understanding that every choice lives in context and that it may not even appear to be a choice because of that context. And so understanding the environment in which the choice was made helps us better explain how we got to where we got to. Does that make sense to you? I mean, th- th- does that follow at all? Because this is something I've thought about a bunch. Well, first of all, they made me tell you the story about the wallet because as soon as it happened, everyone said, oh, that'll be the next podcast episode. And like I said earlier, I'm always kind of looking for stuff to talk about. And this one's fresh on my mind. But what made this discussion so much more interesting to me was the introduction of that notion that choice lives in context. Of course that's true. Of course it's everything lives in context. But I'd never thought about looking at that as a part of the way to understand the local rationale and understand not necessarily the worker's behavior, the worker choosing or not choosing, but in fact the environment in which this appears like a choice in retrospect. So one could say, and one is about to, because one is talking right now, that every choice lives in context. And that our job, retrospectively, when we're trying to understand what happened and how it happened, what conditions were necessary for the failure to take place, our job is, of course, to understand the context, but then to take that context one step further And use that context to understand the series of, air quotes are coming up, choices. Did you see the air quotes? Choices that seem to be made retrospectively that really colored what happened in the workplace. It's a very interesting idea. And one that I think warrants some thought. Which is exactly the reason I wanted to put it on the pod today. Is because... I want to know what you think about this idea of context of choice. Does that help you in further explaining the way our systems, processes, practices, and workplaces function? Does that help us understand operational excellence in a different, new, better, more effective, more practical way? And I actually think that's a really interesting question. And it's a question that we probably should think about a lot the context of choice so that's the pod what do you think i mean you got to hear the wallet story which was super 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 messy and really frustrating i was never angry because i mean there's nobody well first of all i was convinced it was my fault because you got to find blame, baby. If blame's not there, the world is filled with uh, crazy stuff that doesn't just happen, even though it did just happen. But I still had to blame myself. But So I was never mad. I mean, I, I, I felt terrible that I made my friend go back to a hotel we'd already checked out of 20 minutes away in order to dig through a room he'd already checked out of, to look for a billfold that was in my briefcase and then tell them the billfold's in my briefcase so he can go 20 minutes back to get on a plane and barely make I felt terrible about that. Oh, yeah, that felt awful. But I'm relatively certain that I was never angry. I mean, I did, it never send me through security twice. That's a lot to ask. But it really made me think. And that thinking was pretty interesting. I mean, and I was able to really couple it with this. I've been looking for a way to sort of capture this information. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about it. I don't know, who knows? Tell me what you think. Maybe, maybe you should write a book on it. That would be good. I think it's a good book title. So you could go with that. There's a little hint, freebie for you. Well, that's pretty much the pod for today. Thanks for your time. Tell your friends anyone can listen. This one seems goofy to me, so it'll probably be really popular. That's how this works. But uh, until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. I mean, it felt like that's kind of a new idea to me. Even though it's not, it's a new way to capture that idea. Um, Be good to each other. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, you guys, whatever you do, Don't put other people's wallets in your briefcase and be safe.